of me I guess he'll call me the old man I guess he'll think I can lick every other fella's father Well, I can I bet he'll turn out to be The spitting image of his dad But he'll have more common sense Than his pudding-headed father ever had I'll teach him to wrestle and dive through a wave When we go in the morning for a swim His mother can teach him the way to behave But she won't make a sissy out of him Not him, not my boy Hello and welcome to Broadway Radios, this week on Broadway for Sunday, December 31st, 2023. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, Brain Teasers for Broadway Geniuses, is now available wherever finer books are sold. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. And uh, CastAlbumReviews.com, Michael, you know, uh, you have the inside scoop on all things cast recordings, right? Well, not always, but... um, (laughs) I have it on good authority. People have been wondering uh, when or if there would be a cast album of Here We Are, uh, understandably so. Uh, they've been very curious about that. And I hear um, from reliable sources that um, it will be recorded early next week by Concord. Uh, so uh-huh. you can look for an announcement of that very soon, I'm sure. Any idea if it's going to be a physical CD or just um, available through streaming or et cetera? Uh, I did not ask that, but given the the people at whom it's aimed, I I would be very surprised if it was not also a physical CD. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, hard for the collectors to collect the streaming ones. (laughs) So I'm sure not not impossible, but hard. I'm sure the the notes are already written by David Ives, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael, uh, how are things going? You have a mere 25 days until Thursday, January 25th at 7 p.m. at 54 Below. You're going to be doing an encore performance of Jerry Orbach's Broadway? Yeah, on ticket sales, I'm happy to say, are going well. We're, we're um, considerably more than half sold. Uh, wow. which is which is good for this far in advance uh yeah looking forward to doing the show again with um anita gillette this time mm. as one of our special guests i, I really cannot wait <laughs> to uh talk with her i'm going to speak with her about her memories of jerry and that she's going to perform uh, if i were a bell oh because Great. that was uh, a show that they did mm-hmm. together, Guys and Dolls at City Center. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, I don't want to jinx you or anything like that. <laughs> but, you know, given the pre-spring that we're having here, it should be a good 60 degrees by uh, January 25th. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> well, I was wondering, you know, or or on the other hand, it could be that all the snow is waiting. So let's yeah. let's, let's just <laughs> hope for the best. <laughs> the snow people, the, the snow people in the sky are like, huh, I think January 24th is a good time to start snowing two yeah. inches an hour, you know? I hope not. But if that happens... Um, we are going to be live streaming the show. I'm not sure if I mentioned Excellent. that. Excellent. Uh, yes, so we have a link in the show notes for the live stream. Uh, and so that is uh, something that for all the folks out of town that can't quite make it to New York or can't make it over to 54th Street, um, you know, get the go to the show notes and you can pick up the live stream right there. Yeah. So as long as we all can make it to 54 below to do the show. Um, uh, it'll it'll be going on. <laughs> <laughs> you can uh, you know every every afternoon the Jennifer Ashley Tepper Express comes by with a sleigh to pick up all the all the performers to bring them over to fifty four below. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> all right. So uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, it is December thirty first, uh, and I'm sure we've done a December thirty first show before because we've been doing this since 2009 so <laughs> my god 2009 so um uh but we thought maybe today would be a good time for us to do a reflection on 2023 and uh talk about the things that we liked the best in 2023 and ask some of our listeners to chime in with us and uh, do that as well so what i'm going to do First is invite one of our listeners, uh, Juliet Green, to uh, join us and uh, tell us, Juliet, you live out on the West Coast near Berkeley Rep, and uh, you wanted to tell us some things about English, which played at Berkeley Rep. Good morning. Yes, it's very early over here on the West Coast. Yeah, <laughs> just yes, want you all is. to appreciate that. <laughs> well, um, I, I live about an hour from Berkeley Rep, but it's certainly worth the trip. Um, so we've been subscribers for a few years now. And um, this season, we were lucky enough to get a wonderful production of English um, by Snaz Tusi. And it just, this is the thing I love about theater is when it makes you think about something in a way that you just really hadn't thought about it before. And um, just hearing the way that she managed to really encapsulate the struggles of people who are learning a second language and are having to live in a culture where they are not fluent speakers or not native speakers um, just really made me kind of look at that in a, in a really different way. And it was just such so beautifully done. Um, their productions are always really spectacular um, in every aspect and just really was a highlight for me. And as I was looking back on the year, that was one of the things that really, really stood out um, as a West Coast cho uh, choice. And you looking forward, you have uh, other things that are coming up at, at Berkeley Rep that might be uh, of interest to our listeners. So they have... Um, they have been kind of on the forefront of um, doing some new works. And uh, last time I was on, I mentioned Swept Away, which seems to have some momentum, which I'm very pleased to hear. I would love to see a Broadway production of that coming. Um, and this season, they are doing an out-of-town tryout of Galileo, 
Um, this is another Michael Mayer production. He did American Idiot and Spring Awakening and, um, and also swept away. So I'm excited to see what he's bringing in next, um, with Raul Esparza at the helm. So, you know, what else could you want? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe before the show, Raul cooks for everybody. Ah. Ooh, there we go. (laughs) Raul in an apron. Only an apron. So <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Ooh, it's getting hot here. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Julia, thank you for not only getting up so early uh, and joining us almost every Sunday here at Broadway Radio, but uh, for your reviews of English at, Ber- at Berkeley Rep. And uh, after Galileo Place, let's come come back on and talk to us and let us know how that went great i'd love to thank you mm-hmm. all right next up is uh one of our listeners tony janicky so uh tony is in the chicago area and um wants to talk about a few different uh things that happen at the major theaters out there one is uh uh nakarima society at the goodman and dial m for murder at Northlight. so tony say hello Hello. <laughs> so tell us about, uh, did I get it correct? Nakarema, is that the correct title? Yes, it's the, uh, the title is the Nakarema Society, although the full title is the Nakarema Society requests the honor of your presence at a celebration of their first 100 years. <laughs> <laughs> it, um, it's a play by Pearl Klieg, and it... Uh. Uh, this is the first time it's been in Chicago. I think it played in Atlanta maybe last year. And it's it's a comedy of manners about three African-American families in uh, 1964, Montgomery, Alabama. Two of the families are like the aristocracy, the muddied class. And the third family is uh, like working class. And uh, it's Christmas break. There were three grandchildren involved here. They all come back to their hometown for Christmas, and they're going to be planning the debutante ball. And it's it's very funny. It's almost like a um, a few uh, an African American fusion of you can't take it with you in August, uh-huh. H County. Uh-huh. It, it is a comedy, but there are some serious issues involved. And the two matrons from the moneyed class, which which are Grace Dunbar and Catherine Green. Their grandchildren, um, the grandmothers are hoping that the two grandchildren, you know, get married. Or, and the um, the working class mother, that's Alpha Campbell Jackson, her daughter is secretly dating the granddaughter of Catherine Green. But the two grandmothers don't know about it. And so there's a, a whole interaction going on here about who's who's there the aristocracy who's the working class and then there are all these secrets and rumors and letters and to complicate matter there is a um reporter from the new york times that is staying with the dunbar family to get a do a story about the the nakarama society and there everything clashes in this one weekend uh, right around Christmas time, and secrets are revealed. Revealed letters are uh, found, and um, rumors are put to rest and revealed. So it's very funny, 
And I, I, I can't imagine it not eventually going to Broadway because it's just very, very good. I saw it actually in October. I think it's been, it was playing, uh, I think from maybe uh, August through October at the Goodman Theater. And uh, it, uh, there seems to be so much going on there. What's the running time on this? Uh, <laughs> it was about two and a half hours. Um, it, 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 the, the pacing was very, very fast. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was two acts, but it's, um, I don't want to reveal too much because there's a lot sure. of fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, one of the main things is Grace Dunbar's, uh, she's like the matron uh, or the matriarch of Atlanta Black uh, society. Her husband, however, who was revered, was actually a womanizer. And as it turns out, he was involved with one of the other families. And um, that's that has a lot to do with um, the story. It sounds hilarious, but how amazing, how amazing that somebody wrote a comedy set in <laughs> set in that locale mm-hmm. among mm-hmm. black people at mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds incredible. Right. And uh, like Bobby Green has been attending a college and um, let's see, the girl, the um, Alpha Campbell Jackson's daughter, Lily, has been going to the same college as Bobby Green. But the Dunbars don't know about that. And they don't even know how the Campbell Jacksons can even afford to send her daughter to a prestigious university. And all this stuff eventually gets revealed. Because this reporter is snooping around the library and finds a letter in a book, and well, then everything happens and gets resolved. But it's it's very very funny. But I mean, some of the issues are pretty you know uh, serious. But I, I can't imagine this not going to Broadway. Uh, the the local cast had Efe Butler as um, Grace Dunbar, who is pretty well known throughout the country. I think she's been in tours. And Aura Jones plays Catherine Green. Those are the two biggest names in the, the show. I don't know if, but I, I can't imagine this not go, going to Broadway in the next year or two. Uh, Pearl has had stuff in New York. Uh, I think she wrote Blues for an Alabama Sky. <laughs> but that's definitely the highlight, the best thing I saw locally in Chicago this year. All right. And you also saw Dial M for Murder at North Light. Yeah, Dial M for Murder, it's still playing. Um, I have never seen a production of the Frederick Knott Knott original play, which was written in 1952, but I'm a fan of the the Hitchcock version, which is very faithful to it. But this guy, Jeffrey Hatcher, in 2021, did a revisal of it and made a few changes. Not a lot, but the show still works really, really well. there are three main characters, Tony and Mar- Margot Wendis, who are a married couple, Lesget Swan, who's a former uh, college uh, friend, I guess, of Tony Wendis. And then in the original, there was Max Halliday, who was actually the lover of Mar- uh, Margot Wendis. But for this version, um, Hatcher changed Max Halliday into Maxine Hadley. So it's now it's um, Mark and Maxine are having a a lesbian affair that Tony doesn't know about, although he suspects it. And he, of course, hires Lesget to murder his wife. And um, some of the other changes are when um, in in the Frederick Knott Knott version, uh, Margot and uh, Max 
they break off their relationship because uh, Tony is uh, has changed, and 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 Margot wants to give their marriage another chance. In this version, uh, Margot and uh, Maxine they break off their relationship, but it's not amicable. Wow. Um, when Maxine is visiting uh, Margot and, and starts talking about how she could plan a perfect murder, Margot is nervous that maybe Maxine wants wants to murder her. And Margot really feels that Maxine is the one that hired Lesgit um, to, to to kill her. So that's that's like one of the changes or some of the changes. Wow, I can get too complicated. Uh, you would have to actually know the original play to to know what I'm talking about. Wow, that's you know what's interesting to me is that um, uh, Ira Levin once said to me that when he was writing Death Trap, the student, the playwright who had written the thriller, was originally a woman. And he felt it was just going to be too obvious that indeed um, the playwright, the, the established older playwright who had had flop after flop, um, indeed would be fooling around with her. So we made it a man because back in 1978, people wouldn't, weren't thinking necessarily along those lines. So I wonder if Jeffrey Hatcher knew that, if that had anything to do with his decision. I hate to imply that um, he got the idea from Ira Levin, but anyway, that just uh, did occur to me. But I'm with you, Tony. I think the uh, Hitchcock movie is really terrific. And it's funny that you use the expression A Perfect Murder because, of course, there was a film remake of the property called A Perfect Murder. But I think I think Peter Stone wrote it, I think. Um, but anyway, it's... Uh, uh, but I, I've been very curious about this uh, property and sorry that I haven't been able to see it because it has had a few regional productions, but you've made me look forward to it even more. Yeah, it is good. I don't want to give too much away, but uh, Lesgate in this new version, he doesn't hide behind the curtains. He actually confronts Margot in her living room and offers offers her a bribe. A bribe. He or he asks for. Her. He tells her that he'll reveal. He tells her that he's he's there to murder her. He's been hired to murder her, and he'll reveal the name of the person for ten thousand pounds. But she has to she has to agree to it before the phone rings and then the phone rings and then he's forced uh, to try to kill her. And then then basically it, it's it's the same as the, the Frederick not not play where Margot finds the scissors and stabs him. And and then she's accused of the murder uh, the next day by uh, Inspector Hubbard. But there's a but there's a lesbian twist to it because the trial, which is just talked about uh, lawyer. Um, does not believe her and uh, or is is prejudiced against her because she's involved with another woman. And Margot feels that that's why she, she was convicted, that her lawyer didn't try hard enough. But even at the end, Margot still suspects that Maxine is the one who... <laughs> but that's all. But then everything at the end works out the same way as the, the, the not play. I hope I, ha I hope I haven't given too much away. Twists <laughs> <laughs> and turns that that are different uh, be because of the fact it's a lesbian affair, and and, and the breakup was was not amicable as it was in the the not version. So let's move into um, the other things that are going on quickly in Chicago theater. Uh, so you saw some other things that happened at the Paramount and at the Timeline Theater. 
uh, both of which had terrific seasons. Yeah, Timeline is actually located in Chicago, the Lakeview area, which is just north of downtown. And their last season, they had three play, five plays in a row. That I saw five, and they were great. And they, there was a sold-out audience at all five of them. They were relentless. Uh, campaigns incorporated Trouble in Mind, which was played Broadway a couple of years ago, the Lehman Trilogy, which was incredible, and the lifespan of a fact. And the last three all played on Broadway uh, within the last couple of years. And Timeline is one of the bright spots in the city of Chicago that seems to be doing just fine, uh, where everybody else is like, it's not it's not good. Uh, Paramount is located in North Aurora, which is a suburb southwest of Chicago. It's about an hour's drive from where I live. And I'm just I'm just a mile north of Chicago. Anyway, uh, uh, I usually don't. My partner and I usually don't go with subscriptions to theaters. But we have with Paramount over the last uh, two years. And this last season, they did Dream Girls, The Sound of Music, Into the Woods, School of Rock, and Next to Normal. And I would say oh, wow. sound, The Sound of Music, Into the Woods, Next to the Normal. Those were those productions were as good as anything I've ever seen of those wow. shows. Jim Corti, by the way, is the artistic director there, who's been on Broadway for, he's been a performer on Broadway not recently, but over the last 30 years. He was in Chorus Line originally ah, wow. as a replacement. And um, I know he was he was he was in the, uh, the original production of Ragtime mm-hmm. and he did Carnival at uh, Paper Mill Playhouse, too. But he's great. I mean, I talk to him all the time. And he's uh, he's really that theater is really doing very, very well. Okay. Again, it's, it's, it's more of a far suburb. Mm-hmm. All right. So thanks for the update uh, from Chicago, Tony Janicki. Next up, we're going to talk to Sean Logan. Uh, Sean is coming to us from Kansas City, but he wants to uh, talk about some Broadway productions that he saw, plus a little bit of local news. So, Sean, welcome to Broadway Radio again. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, when I was thinking back at the things I saw this year that have really stuck with me, Usually it's more musicals, but I feel like this year the performances that have stayed with me have come more from plays mm-hmm. that I saw on Broadway. So um, the first would be Jessica Chastain in A Doll's House. I know that production was very polarizing, but it really worked for me, and I thought she was mesmerizing. My only disappointment would be I sat on House Left on the aisle, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. even from that location, you could not see her exit the back of the stage to the uh. street, which was very disappointing. Um, I don't know why the producers would let that happen. They should know. Everyone should be able to see that moment. But her performance was terrific. Um, Similarly, I was blown away by Jodie Comer and Prima Facie. I still think about that production, particularly like the last 10 minutes of the show and some of the imagery that they did at the end of the show with the lights and the folders lighting up that I just thought was um, like maybe the best moment I saw on stage this year that just really stuck with me. Um, Sean Hayes in Goodnight Oscar was another performance that it was just unbelievable what you were seeing and that someone could accomplish that. Um, so I would say from plays, those are like the three best performances I saw this year. While from musicals on Broadway, I would go with Alex Newell and Shucked. I would say Shucked was my favorite musical I saw of all the things I saw with on, on Broadway this year from the musical side. Um, I, it, 
It has a really great score. That is the one cast recording I think I've gone back and listened to the most, other than the next show that I will mention, <laughs> um, which would be of all the revivals, which there were quite a few this year. Um, I loved, loved Merrily We Roll Along, mm. even though I had to see it without one of the three principles, which we've discussed before and I won't mm. bring up again. Mm-hmm. Um, but Daniel Radcliffe and Jonathan Groff were everything <laughs> advertised and more. And so if anyone sees the show and the third performer is out, don't go back. Like this, the understudy was absolutely terrific. There was no reason to have left. So I'm so glad that I, I didn't um, because the rest of the production was, was terrific. Um, locally, the one thing I'm going to mention is a few months ago with our Kansas City Symphony, Audra McDonald was here. And there are certain performers that whenever you see them, whether it's in an actual show or not, they are just so, I don't know, they just have it. I can say this was about 10 years ago when I saw Bernadette Peters here locally perform. And now with Audra, they just have something that just is... Um, outstanding. And I had a great seat and just to see um, her act, the songs that she was singing. Um, it was just to use a cliche, a true masterclass in individual performance. Mm, that's wonderful. So uh, what are you looking forward to in, uh, in 2024? I, I asked this of folks who uh, are out-of-towners that plan their trips into New York, uh, it seems that you have a, a strategic plans to get in and out to see the most amount of shows possible. What's on your schedule? Um, I'll be coming back in March, and I'm excited for a couple of things. Um, I really want to see The Hell's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I would say the other thing I'm really looking forward to seeing Um, which is coming from, I believe, Chicago, which is the Who's Tommy. I have actually never seen a production of that, so I'm really excited to see the Who's Tommy for the first time. All right. So uh, after... And I would say locally, unfortunately, I do subscribe to our Broadway series here. This season, there's not a single original score coming with any of the productions. It is all jukebox shows, so there's just not a whole lot to get excited about locally. Yeah. Mm. Mm, more and more. All right. Um, so, Sean, thanks for uh, your quick reviews here of the things you liked in 2023. And uh, when these, when you get back in in March 2024 to see Hell's Kitchen and the Hughes Tommy touch base, with, t- touch base with us again. All right. Thank you. All right. Next up, we have Rob Johnston. Um Rob is uh, a regular here in New York, but did the reverse and went out of town to Hershey, not for chocolate, but to see Come From Away. I would have gone for chocolate. Did you know that the Hershey's? <laughs> did you know Hershey's chocolate and Hershey's ice cream are unrelated companies? <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. Uh, Fascinating so, <laughs> things Rob, you learn on a Sunday. Rob, how did you ever find that theater? Uh, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's like in a suburb, <laughs> and suddenly there's that theater if you take a right on one of the streets. Uh, did you have trouble finding it? 
Uh, well, fortunately, the GPS uh, software. Um, I went before mm-hmm. the GPSs, right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> but I will say you would never notice it driving by because yeah. it looks like some industrial office building from the outside or something almost like a, a bunker during wartime. <laughs> but once you go inside, oh, it is beautiful. Mm, it really um, is. And, you know, this was. Uh, a Christmas present from last year. Uh, I went with my goddaughter and her family uh, to see Come From Away. It was supposed to have happened over the summer, but the tour entire tour was postponed. Um, I don't really know why, but that was a good thing for me as this year has been uh, a difficult year for me for some uh, medical reasons and whatnot. It's the far and away the least theater I've been able to see this year uh, than any in the 16 years I've lived in, in, in New York. Um, And I did also want to include in my uh, wrap up of theater, uh, just a general thank you to Broadway radio, both this week on Broadway today on Broadway and the other shows for allowing to keep my finger on the pulse, even though I wasn't able to keep my Mm. butt in the seats Mm. um, and everything. But I I wanted to say that this tour of come from away, uh, it is the non-equity tour, but you really wouldn't know it. The only difference uh, between that and having seen it on uh, many times on Broadway is uh, they no longer have a turntable as part of the set. Um, so they have do a little bit more work moving the chairs around themselves. Uh, but if you didn't know that there was supposed to be a turntable, you wouldn't miss it. The performances were great across the board. Uh, it was uh, really tight. I had a friend who saw it earlier in the tour in New Haven and thought that it wasn't quite gelling. But I think now that they've had the time together as a company, it, they've really come together. Um, And I was so happy to see it again uh, and not just on the TV from the pro shot, um, but seeing it uh, done well uh, and in person and, um, you know, uh, uh, my goddaughter, Jameson, her mom, uh, Christy, who I've been friends with since college and, uh, you know, Uh, Chrissy's mom and her husband and her husband's parents and everybody just thought it was amazing. Uh, So I was just uh, happy to uh, see theater being brought to a wider audience through tours. And then I guess the other thing that I have to say that I loved about this year in theater was just seeing uh, that it was an all Sondheim everywhere uh, whether it was seeing Merrily, uh, having seen Into the Woods again before it had closed, I think during this year, um, uh, and uh, seeing Sweeney Todd and whatnot, and hearing stories of the different productions all over the country um, just makes me so happy that... Um, even though he only had had like one show that was technically a hit or two of his own shows, one show that uh, profited in their initial run, seeing so many shows being so successful right now just really makes me happy. Um, 
So, but uh, for after a rough year, it's you know, but it was still a good year in so many ways. All right. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate you giving us uh, the inside scoop on Come From Away in, in Hershey and how to find that theater. And also <laughs> uh, our mutual admiration of Sondheim that uh, many of our listeners have expressed, you know, uh, how much Sondheim there is right now uh, and that how wonderful it is to be able to see all the great stuff that he produced. So, Peter, what about your 2023? As I was talking with Michael before we started recording, you know, we sort of live in a world where we go from July to June, not really January <laughs> to December. Mm -hmm. But in our in our in our uh, uh, January to December calendars of 2023, what was your, what were your standouts? Well, you know, the irony is that uh, I did see a musical early in the year and then another one late in the year uh, that were both terrific. And the irony is that the one earlier in the year was written by the son of the people who wrote the one that was so good at the end of the year. <laughs> so I'm talking about um, Julian Rosenblum, who wrote uh, Bohemian Progeny, uh, about a young man who is into computers and makes his living as a computer and his two parents who who are lesbians um write musicals they've done okay they've never hit it big but they've done okay uh and uh but he he really has no interest in musicals per se but uh what does happen is that uh the computer company says hey kids let's put on a show and you um after all your parents um write musicals so you must know something about it you got to write us a musical uh -huh. I've got to write a musical. Oh, my God. And, of course, uh, people know nothing about writing musicals, and so he has to explain that M's don't rhyme with N's and plurals don't rhyme with singulars, and it was very, very funny to watch this happen. Um, late in the Year, Appalachian Christmas by uh, Joshua Rosenblum and Joanne Sidney Lesnar, who, indeed, um, are his parents. And uh, this was about a story that takes place, as you would expect, in Appalachia, where uh, the bad guy in town um, is going to foreclose on a property and uh, nobody wants him to do it because it's going to make for a very, very unpleasant Christmas. Neither of these shows has been produced for real, but I do hope that in 2024, I'm going to see them on main stages somewhere. So I thought um, that was terrific. The best performance I think I saw by an actress in a musical. Well, I guess it's a toss up between Kelly O'Hara and Days and Wines and Roses and Donna Murphy and Dear World at uh, Encores. And of course, uh, people will have a chance to see if they agree with me with Kelly O'Hara. Since indeed, Days of Wine and Roses coming back. Um, for, for performances um, as an actor in a musical, I don't think, uh, it, in a way, this is a cheat because it almost was a supporting performance, but the show was called The Twelve and it dealt with the Twelve Apostles. And um, the writers made a good case for the fact that uh, Tom, meaning Doubting Thomas, has a lot to doubt. And let's give him the benefit of the doubt that he's not just being difficult, that after all, it is hard to believe some of the things that are happening here. And Wesley Taylor was marvelous in the role. And if it isn't a lead role, he certainly made it seem like a lead role. Featured actor in a musical? Definitely Benjamin Pajak in Golden Rainbow at the York, um, playing the young boy. Uh, this is the musical that Stephen Eady did uh, way back when. And um, here he was playing the kid 
who is torn between uh, staying with his father and he likes his aunt too, who wants to take him to New York um, as, from Las Vegas. He doesn't want that to happen, but um, wonderful performer and also appeared at the Theater World Awards this year and tore down the house uh, because he had been in Oliver and he did a, a song from Oliver and he was also in the music band as Winthrop and did a song from that too. And um, so he really is a star in the making uh, if indeed he's not a star already, which I guess he is. Um, Jennifer Samard, Once Upon a One More Time, uh, Jennifer Smart is always hilarious and it was just great to see her uh, do so well. So um, another musical I loved dearly was Go in Hollywood, um, which dealt with the blacklist and how it affected people in Hollywood. This was at the Water Tower Theater in Addison, Texas. And indeed, Stephen Cole, who wrote a uh, book um, and uh, lyrics, and David Crane, who wrote the music, did a fabulous job. I mean, just wonderfully done. So I like that quite a bit. I also like Summer Stock at um, Goodspeed, which indeed uh, Sherry Steinkellner did a revisal of the book, and I thought made it much, much smarter. I also want to point out that um, Galt McDermott's music was heard in Via Galactica at um, 54 Below in a concert version. And, of course, this was an enormous failure back in 1972. But Galt McDermott, I thought, was really one of the best composers we had of the era. And, um, indeed, if he had worked with better people or um, whatever, I think um, he would have been one of the all-time greats because he had a unique sound. So I, I liked him quite a bit. For uh, play, um, I liked The Doctor very much. And Julius Stevenson in it, I thought that... Um, uh, both were terrific. A uh, story of a, a, a doctor who um, makes a bad decision and uh, tries to stand by it and ultimately turns out to uh, have a real problem with it. For a revival, I'd go to the Pennsylvania Shakespeare Festival with Henry the Fourth, Part Two, which is rarely done. I mean, when do you see you see Part One all the time? When do you see Part Two? And John Alin, A H L I N, was terrific as Falstaff. Um, very funny actor. I also like John Turturro in Sabbath's Theater. I thought it was a very difficult role, and I thought he certainly acquitted himself nicely. Oh, back to Pennsylvania. Bob Cuccioli um, in The Tempest uh, playing Prospero. Terrific performance. Really quite wonderful. Oh, Sarah Paulson, inappropriate. You can see her right now. Boy, does she take the bull by the horns. Whoa, this is a tough lady, and she knows how to play her. Uh, for a solo show, Patrick Page, All the Villains Are Here, um, his take on Shakespeare. <laughs> you know, there's a series of books, I'm sure you've seen them, called No Fear Shakespeare. Where on the left side of the page, they actually have Shakespeare's text. On the right side of the page, they, air quotation marks here, translate it for you. Uh, in a way, this was No Fear Shakespeare as well. Even though it was Shakespeare, he certainly guided us wonderfully through it. And um, it was really quite impressive. I have to say that um, Laura Bell Bundy in The Cottage, I thought, gave a tremendous performance. And I thought Jason Alexander directed that play very well. And I liked a lot of it. Alex Brightman in The Shark is Broken, playing Richard Dreyfus and playing him brilliantly. He must have watched every, every shard of movie that uh, uh, he'd been in. Um, Cat's Cradle out in Chicago um, had the Curry directed it beautifully, and a, somebody named Orton Lay Sleeper was an understudy who came in and really did a wonderful job. By the way, speaking of understudies, Walter Marks went into Golden Rainbow, the guy who wrote the music and lyrics, uh, when indeed Max von Essen was ill, and he uh, certainly did a wonderful job as well. Um, at uh, at the, well, let's put it this way, Charity Begins at Home. I think the best featured performance by an actress in a comedy was Kate Murray in Larry, the big-time Broadway producer. 
which yes is my play i'll grant you but um <laughs> she was just so wonderful in playing uh, a hotel clerk who um is very much in love with another hotel clerk larry who thinks um he's got a big future as a broadway producer we'll see if he does so uh just wonderful because she loves him and uh, she's reluctant to let him know but boy did she play the subtext so kate murray that's kate with a c uh was really quite wonderful as well certainly the settings and costumes and projections for uh, um, The Great Gatsby, which uh, is coming to Broadway, I'm told, um, were certainly amazing. And um, I, I thought all that was uh, ex- extraordinarily impressive. So I liked that quite a bit as well. I also um, wish that more attention had been paid to Oscar Isaac in the um, Sign of Sidney Burstein's window. Yes, Miriam Silverman got a lot of um, press and, uh, and and more than that, and I'm very glad she did. But I was amazed that Oscar Isaac wasn't more appreciated um, because uh, he, he really was uh, magnificent in this uh, very difficult role. Uh, really, um, you, you really have to <laughs> throw yourself into it. So Jeremy Pope and the collaboration was uh, quite wonderful as well. And um, uh, oh, I'll, I'll say, <laughs> this is the strangest thing. We talk about Charles Kirsch a lot. Charles uh, appeared in a production of Shrek Jr. And um, and he's a fine actor, but, 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 there's a, a young woman, <laughs> a kid named Sky, S-K-Y-E, Papa, um, P-A-P-A, um, who I'm telling you, um, you've heard it here first. This girl is a star and is going to be. So uh, keep an eye out for those uh, two four-letter words because uh, they're going to pack quite a wallop as time goes on. So um, those are my uh, special um, experiences this year in um, both Broadway and off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway and (laughs) far-off-Broadway in Pennsylvania and uh, parts unknown. Texas. I think the farthest you got away was Texas. Yeah, I suppose it was. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. What a great uh, recap of 2023, Peter. How about you, Michael? What were some of your favorites from 2023? Well, I didn't get as far as Texas, but um, (laughs) uh, a lot of the several of the best things that I saw were were neither on nor off Broadway. I, I always see a lot of cabaret shows and I was privileged to see some great shows by um, some of the usual suspects, Marilyn May, of course, um, Christine Petty, Liz Calloway. And I really have to add Ben Jones to the list. He, he, um, I think he's just going to be a huge star. He's. Can I really... interrupt you for a second? Yeah. Uh, did, did I hear correctly that Anne Hampton Calloway was uh, sick at, and yeah. couldn't go on? Yeah. 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 She apparently missed, I think, two. Um, uh, there was supposed to be a run of performances by Liz and Anne together at 54 Below, uh, as you know, as sisters. Um, mm-hmm. But Anne got a bug and she missed at least two of them. Um, fortunately, Liz, you know, I mean, has, has performed solo a lot. Um, with the same people but she actually did a, i don't know if you saw it she did a recap on facebook of what was involved yeah <laughs> when she uh when she got you know when her sister said you know i just don't think i can do it and uh how she had to coordinate with alex rybeck their the musical director mm-hmm. and and the musicians and and make a new song list and uh, it, it sounds like it was really quite something it's so, a new uh, musical called 54th street but i thought that was one i was like you know i if i couldn't go on i couldn't call my brother 
and say, <laughs> and say yeah. okay, you have to produce Broadway radio today. You know, it's just <laughs> yeah. So I I interrupted you. We're talking about Ben Jones and how wonderful he is. Oh yeah, he's he's just really great. Um, so if you haven't heard of him yet, I I, I think you will. Uh, and then also, <clears throat> as as our listeners know, I I get to DC fairly often and. I saw at least two phenomenal shows down there, Ragtime at Signature Theater and Fun Home at the Studio Theater. Um, but as far it's interesting in looking back on the on the year here on and off Broadway, it struck me that uh, there were several things that I saw that I would absolutely put on my best of the year list, even though um, they were flawed in some significant way, either the show itself or the production. Um, for example, Sweeney Todd was was absolutely one of the highlights for me for Josh Groban singing and uh, the overall general musical excellence of the production. And there were many other things that were wonderful about it as well. But I didn't actually think it was that well directed. And um, and I had some other issues with it, uh, including uh, would have to admit that acting wise, Josh Groban's performance was not all it could have been. Um, although I still, you know, I'm I'm thrilled that I saw and heard him do it because it's it just sounded so gorgeous. And if you didn't get to uh see and hear him in it, there's the cast album, which I would highly recommend. Uh, Merrily We Roll Along. Um I loved, even though I thought again, I don't think it was that very well directed, and I had major issues with the design of the production, but the three leads um who have been extolled here uh in this <laughs> Uh, podcasts and and you know everywhere else in reviews um they alone made it more than worthwhile seeing and and i'm so glad that the um show itself the score itself has come to be so beloved over the years uh and whatever how whatever reservations one may have with the book by george firth the, the sondheim score is really i think just right up there with one of his best um harmony i uh i really loved uh not as much as when i saw it off broadway for some reason when i saw it downtown uh and i can't quite put my finger on it but um i still think it's uh it's definitely should be seen and that has a great cast as well and i really actually really like the score that um that Barry Manilow and, and uh, Bruce Sussman came up with. Um, I can get it for you wholesale down at uh, CSC was fantastic for a Santino Fontana's performance and many of the other performances. I thought some, there was some miscasting there, but uh, also uh, I was so impressed with uh, John Weidman's rewrite uh, rewrites of the original book by his dad, uh, Jerome Weidman. Uh, I thought, he made almost every decision he made was for the better. Uh, and I think that's, that's really hard to do. <laughs> uh, so I was so, so impressed by that. And um, my last show that I, that I loved despite flaws was the, the sign in Sidney Brewstein's window because I, and there, I think the flaws are, are just in the play itself, just because it's quite long and somewhat unwieldy and maybe the construction of it is not absolutely perfect, but still it, it was a testament to Lorraine Hansberry um, that she could write so brilliantly uh, 
outside of <laughs> a raisin in the sun. And I'm sure for many of us, this was our first experience of anything she had written outside of that. Um, so bravo um, to the uh, people who produced it, first of all, at, um, it was at BAM, wasn't it? Yeah, it started right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see it there, obviously. Um, and then on Broadway, uh, and and the the story of how that came to Broadway at the last moment is another um, kind of story that's so interesting that maybe a play could be written about that, uh, James. So maybe they'll maybe they'll yeah. do that at some point. Um, <laughs> and then there there were uh, many things I saw um, that I would say I loved unreservedly. I, I loved the stage concert performance of the frogs uh that was done at the rose theater uh with the ma uh, master voices uh with ted sperling as director and musical director and with an all-star cast uh including uh, doug sills uh in in the central role he was really fantastic uh parade um at encores and on broadway jason robert brown's parade uh pearly victorious colon a non-confederate romp through the cotton patch <laughs> uh which i i was i loved it but also i was fascinated um that it w could be appreciated nowadays because it's such that piece is such a hot potato um mm -hmm. but i think it that you know it, it they did it absolutely correctly in that it was presented as a satire uh and uh, and it succeeded brilliantly on that level um so that as far as i'm concerned there was not a false step made in that production also really loved here lies love i'm sorry it did not find its audience on broadway uh alex edelman in just for us was a real tour de force his one-man show uh spam a lot i loved when i saw it at the kennedy center and then again on broadway with again a fantastic fantastic cast james Monroe, Iglehart. uh uh Michael Yuri, uh, Taryn Killiam, uh, et cetera, et al. Just every one of them superb. Um, I really, really, really liked David Stoller's uh, tiny little production of Arms in the Man uh, off-Broadway. And I don't mean tiny in terms of the cast size, because it wasn't in that sense, but just, uh, you know, it was done in one of those small theaters at Theater Row, and uh, the set was a, was really a delightful little jewel box kind of set, and I it gave me a new appreciation for that play, so that's high praise indeed. Um, and then my last two that I would mention of, of everything I saw through the year were Prima Facie. Uh, I certainly agree. Um, that Jody Comer was beyond brilliant in that. Uh, and what a, what an incredible marathon and achievement that was for, for, uh, in terms of a one person show. And I really, I just absolutely unreservedly loved shocked. I loved it on every level. I love, I like the score. Uh, I think the book is hilarious. And I thought that was uh, an example of a show that was so so well directed by jack o'brien who you know has been in the business for many many years and is not a youngster anymore but um of course i wasn't in the in the rehearsals <laughs> uh, uh so i don't know exactly uh you know what he brought to it but it would seem that he knew uh 
precisely the kind of humor that it was supposed to be. And he helped guide the performers to a hilariously funny, but also very touching, touching musical. Uh, so I hope, um, I hope Shucked has a future life because uh, I think it deserves one. It might make a really, really funny movie. Um, hmm. So I hope somebody's maybe thinking about that. And that's my, uh, that's my roundup. All right. So you have uh, two weeks left to catch Shucked on Broadway. It's uh, scheduled mm. to close January 14th. Uh, and I'd imagine that it's going to be one of those uh, musicals that's going to get done in summer stock immediately yeah, yeah. right away. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see so. in a lot of regional theaters and you're going to see all sorts of things. And it's it's sad that, uh, you know, I, mm. I can't think of one bad review or one negative word about it and that it can't it can't keep running. So that's the state of Broadway that we're in right now that we need uh, big stars and big money to keep these things running. Yeah. All right. So that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to our brain teaser and our musical moments, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayVideo.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time there's a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. as many ways to get us. Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash broadwayradio is one way that you can get us early and support all the Broadway Radio shows. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. And I've tried to list everything that people mentioned here, but I might have missed some. So if I have, just email me and I'll, I'll add it back in. <laughs> so, Peter, do we have an answer to last week's brain teaser? What do these shows have to do with one of the most popular musicals of all time? One Sunday afternoon, Jekyll and Hyde, Miracle at Verdun, Lenny, that was the play about Lenny Bruce, Quo Vadis and Follies. All of them have characters who have the same names as characters in your good man, Charlie Brown. One Sunday afternoon actually has a Charlie Brown. Jekyll and Hyde has Lucy, Miracle at Verdun has Schroeder. Lenny has Stoopy, Quote Vanus has Linus, and Follies has Sally. So Tony Janicki was first once again, followed by Juliet Green, Sean Logan, Brigadude, Fred Abramowitz, and Ingrid Gammerman. This week's question. I was listening to the 1976 musical Rex, in which Sheldon Harnick wrote a song called Elizabeth, in which he noted the many nicknames for that name. Bess, Bessie, Betty, Bessie, Beth, Lisbeth, Lizzie. That reminded me, the two women known as Betty both won Tonys for the same musical in the same year. Who were they? What was the musical? Okay, if you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, Will Friedwald, um, who writes wonderfully on music, uh, has recently been doing a series about Frank Sinatra in Carousel, which is um, one of the big might've bins because as I'm sure many of our listeners know, Frank Sinatra was actually signed to play Billy Bigelow in the film of Mm -hmm. Carousel. And then um, he quit 
just as filming was about to start. Uh, for many years, the story was he quit because he found out that he would, they thought initially that they would have to film every scene twice uh, because of the different uh uh, film formats that 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 were coming in uh, in the mid fifties, uh, in the same way that Oklahoma, uh, there were two separate <laughs> films of Oklahoma, um, and also Seven Bride for Seven Brothers, and also apparently Brigadoon. Uh, but um, then actually, it turned out that they realized that they wouldn't have to film Carousel twice because they figured out a way to. Uh, uh, to reduce the uh, larger film to to thirty five millimeter anyway uh, all that so uh, but they didn't know that when he quit so that sounded like a reason a good reason because he was famous for um, saying that he he didn't like to do multiple takes of uh, scenes when he was filming because he always felt he was fresher uh, you know in the beginning uh, but then it turns out also that he it seems that he had some qualms about himself in the role of Billy, um, and partly because he was under the impression that Rogers and Hammerstein thought he was wrong for the part. Uh, but one thing that uh, Will Friedwall reproduced was some letters, uh, a letter from Oscar Hammerstein saying that that was not the case, and they thought it was very good casting. So that that's interesting to think that that was a a huge misunderstanding there. Anyway. Um, uh, Frank Sinatra did not film the role of Billy in in the movie of Carousel, and it was done by Gordon McRae. But uh, Sinatra had loved the show from the time it opened on Broadway, and he recorded he first recorded the soliloquy uh, in you know complete form uh, not long after the show opened. Uh, so this uh, our musical moment uh, this week is that it's the the uh, mid-40s recording of Soliloquy by Frank Sinatra. He later recorded um, the the song, I think, twice more uh, later in the 40s and then uh, much later in 1963. Uh, but this is one of the mid-40s recordings. And uh, you might be interested to hear um, some minor changes in the lyrics uh, uh, due to censorship, <laughs> I guess you would say, uh, um, and things of that a sort uh but uh also because soliloquy is such a, a a long uh bravura piece uh we broke it up into two <laughs> two sections and our opener was the first ah. part of, of the song and our closer is um is the the bulk of it uh so i hope you enjoy it and and you can um you know obviously form your own opinion based on this uh, as to whether Frank Sinatra would have been a good choice for the film of Carousel. I will say this. Um, I'm sure you've seen the pictures of him in the costume, mm. and uh, he looks silly. I was just about to say that. So really? thank you yeah. for, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he really does not look right. Uh, I think physically he was a little too old at the time, and also uh, somehow, I don't know, I, I see Billy as being physically more burly. Me too. Uh, not, not He's this, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I, I was going to ask the two of you a, a question about Frank Sinatra. I, I, I think that we can't really argue uh, his voice, uh, just an amazing voice. Mm -hmm. But uh, what did you think about him uh, or how, do you have an opinion about him as an 
actor in the films that we've seen him in. Oh, he was an excellent actor. Absolutely agreed. Yeah. Completely agreed. Oh, Having just recently rewatched, um, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, the Manchurian Candidate. Candidate, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. indeed, yeah, phenomenal in that. Great yeah. movie, and they too. they did those in one takes. Well, he he liked to do one take. I mean, he didn't always get his wish. Yeah, but, but uh, I think he often did. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go back and watch Manchurian Candidate. And oh, it's terrific. Because I'm not such a huge fan of his acting. I think his voice is amazing, but maybe I have to. Go visit it again. One I haven't seen, in which he apparently also is very good, is The Man with the Golden Arm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen that either. And, I, I mean, I think his acting, actually, in Guys and Dolls is excellent. His comic his comic timing is, is, is great. He may not be perfectly cast in that role either. But well, I think I, I think that yeah, that's pretty much that was him. That was his, he wasn't acting. Oh, um... Well, he wasn't a character actor in that sense, yeah. but but yeah, no, and and then of course, um, from here to eternity, which he got yeah, an Oscar. An Oscar for. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So, on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway. Bye bye. 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 A bum with no money. You can have fun with a son. But you gotta be a father to a girl She mightn't be so bad at that A kid with ribbons in her hair A kind of neat and petite little tin type of her mother What a pain Stand around in bar rooms Oh, how I'll boast and blow Friends will see me coming And empty all the bar rooms Through every door they'll go Weary of hearing day after day The same old things That I always say My little girl, pink and white, as peaches and cream is she. My little girl is half again as bright as girls are meant to be. Dozens of boys pursue her. Many a likely lad Does what he can to woo her From her faithful dad She has a few pink and white Young fellas of two and three But my little girl gets hungry every night And she comes home to 